This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. Thanks so much for tuning in. Everyone knows that the UAW has expanded their strike nationwide. The GM Stellantis facilities are the main folks who are seeing these strikes. And as we record this, President Biden is set to join a picket line here in Detroit. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that with James David Dixon, who is the managing editor for Michigan Capital Confidential. James, how are you? Real good, Tony. How about you? I'm doing very well. Good to have you on. What I find so interesting about the president coming to join the picket line is it seems like an oxymoron, if you will, because he is supporting the strikers, yet a lot of his policies could put a lot of those folks out of work, and they have yet to say they're going to support his bid for the presidency. So a lot is up in the air with this. What's your take on this story? I think the important thing to remember is that Unions, especially in the modern day, are only as powerful as their politician friends. And so when, you know, to have the president with striking workers for the first time in a century, you know, that sends a huge signal. But as you know, Tony, everything in life works both ways, right? And so when you have, you know, 30, 40 percent of UAW members voting Trump last time, that's not well received. And so you saw a really different reception where Sean Fain, the UAW president, he's inviting President Biden to town. He's saying, you know, come take a walk with us. Walk the picket line with me and the workers. And Biden took him up on that offer the very same day on Friday, the same day the offer was made. But you saw how different it was when Donald Trump, a former president, also said he'd like to talk to the workers, walk with the workers, that kind of thing. That was taken, you know, very differently Basically, the union rejected that out of hand, and they're treating Trump like he's the problem in politics and saying, well, we don't want these endorsements from rich politicians. Hey, bad news, Sean Fain. They're all rich. What I find interesting about this story, I have this mantra. I don't believe there's misinformation or disinformation. There's the truth, facts, there's lies, and there's opinion. And it seems as many union workers seem to think that President Biden is on their side. Although if you look at the price of gasoline, if you look at the inflation rate, if you look at the economy, if you look at the cost of groceries, and if you look at his policies with trying to, as many have said, trying to switch to EVs at a quicker pace than the infrastructure is ready for, while also taking away some of these jobs, it seems like they're oblivious to that. Well, that's the thing. You know, the unions are often along for the okie doke. You know, NAFTA comes along and shifts a lot of our jobs to Mexico. Where was the UAW? Where were the Teamsters back then? Then I think about the World Trade Organization and America contributes to China's rise. And within, you know, what, three decades, we went from Detroit being the world's manufacturer to it is overwhelmingly China. And they'll put that on the goods they manufacture. They make it very clear, you bought this from a Chinese company. It's big for their branding. And you see it happening again right now, where unions are accepting the okie doke of, 
okay, you know, there's going to be one third fewer jobs needed maybe with this transition to EVs, but hey, maybe there'll be retraining grants or there'll be some kind of soft landing. There's never a soft landing. What works every time is the deal that's made benefits the people at the top of the union and the people at the bottom of the union always suffer. When we talk about this strike, when the UAW is demanding a 40% in raise in salary for its workers, as well as a 32-hour work week and some other concessions, and I have seen analysts as well as the big three say that's virtually impossible for us to do and stay in business. What's the latest you know in regards to this, James? Well, when Biden was out there today and the media asked him about it, he endorses the 40%. So you have the president not just showing a symbolic solidarity with workers, which you could excuse that because a lot of them are expected to vote Democratic. Or you have the president endorsing specific planks of what they're trying to negotiate literally asserting himself into this negotiation. And what I find interesting is the contrast to a few days ago. You know, last week, the UAW was trying to minimize how much White House involvement there appeared to be in the negotiations and saying, basically, we got this. We appreciate the support, but we got this. Ten days in, now you have the president putting his finger on the scale. You had Bernie Sanders, a very popular Democrat, endorsing the four-day work week. And so Democrats are really going out of their way to say, we support you guys, down to endorsing specific planks of the negotiation to just taking it so far. When we come back, we'll talk with James David Dixon more in regards to the UAW strike. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Sinair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sinair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sinair.com. Talking with managing editor James Dixon of the Michigan Capital Confidential and Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. So, James, let's pretend for a minute that uh, you're down in Detroit in Greek town and you got to put a wager on how long the strike is going to last. What do you think? I was hoping they'd be back already. I thought it was a terrible sign that they expanded. I thought it was a worse sign yesterday. Ford announces that they're going to pause their $3.5 billion development in Marshall. And what I found so strange about that, the UAW comes out and says, hey, this is basically a threat from the company. But on Friday, they were saying Ford was like the model. Like those negotiations were going so well that it didn't expand at Ford. So now they're mad at Ford again. You don't know how it's going to affect the negotiations. The whole thing's a mess. It seems to be moving in the wrong direction. And something that you posted at the Michigan Capital Confidential, which was a message, a text message obtained by the Detroit News and columnist David Hawes, 
talked about the do's and don'ts for picketers. I thought that was interesting. That might have not gotten publicized unless he got his hands on it or someone else. What's your thoughts on that? Well, we had the do's and don'ts. The UAW had put that out before the strike started on September 15th. They were doing some practice pickets. And so basically they wanted to make clear to their members, to any supporters, hey, we're not mad at the companies. We're not disparaging the companies. Now that's pre-strike. And then the Detroit News gets these, you know, text messages of, you know, communications people. I mean, these are the people who are responsible for the union's messaging. And you have one of those guys saying, you know, he's seeking reputation damage of the automakers. That's not how you talk about your partners. And it specifically violates what they were saying before the strike. You know, the problem is, you know, if you beat up this car, we also have to drive home in it together. And James, you talked a little bit about how Ford has paused the EV battery project. What else do we know about that? Well, it's another strange story, Tony, because so yesterday Ford says, look, we're just going to press the pause button, which a lot of people thought was odd, not just because of how big the project is, $3.5 billion, but because $1.7 billion of that, almost half, came from the Michigan taxpayer. Now, a lot of it hasn't been paid out yet. It's not like that's a total loss. But when Ford is saying we have concerns about whether we can be competitive, when half the thing is subsidized, exactly what would it take for one of the biggest companies on earth to be competitive when half the project is subsidized? So another terrible sign about the future of an industry that's why most of us are here in Michigan. And something that you and I have talked about before is this project to build batteries and the partnerships that Michigan as well as Ford has forged with China. And we keep hearing about how China is trying to take over the world, trying to take over our country, slowly but surely buying land, stealing our intellectual property, yet we keep entering these partnerships with them. I just find that amazing. Yeah, it is strange because you know when Governor Whitmer gave her what's next address recently, it's kind of a late year state of the state address. She said we have to reduce our reliance on China, which anyone in Michigan should agree with. Here's the problem. We had two EV, you know, battery plants that we're going to be wholly or largely dependent on China. The Goshen Project is literally a Chinese-owned company. And then this one in Marshall with Ford, Ford was actually taking the back seat to a different Chinese company called CATL. And so what I did think was odd about the Ford thing, so they say they're going to pause yesterday. That's Monday. Tuesday, the Michigan Strategic Fund, part of the economic development or corporate welfare apparatus, still grants $65 million to the Ford project. So it's a very mixed message with the company saying we're going to pause despite all those subsidies, but the people who write the checks continuing to write the checks despite every reason not to. And James, staying with Michigan News, I want to talk a little bit about the Michigan Clean Energy Bill. It's been through eight drafts, as I've read on the website, but none of them are public. Why is that? Well, it's a phrase we've been hearing a lot is, that's the way things go in Lansing. That's the way things are in Lansing. 
And so I talked on background to a Michigan lawmaker who said that she doesn't always have ready access to bills as they're amended. And oftentimes she finds it easier to get that information from one of the lobbyists or one of the stakeholders that they're working with and not from actual colleagues, not through official channels. Now, here's the concern. This is a transparency issue. So earlier this year, we published the Capcom Guide to Lansing. You know, if you're a citizen, but you want to find out what your lawmakers are doing, you could look it up. Here's the problem. If none of the information is accurate or recent, what's the point of doing it? So it keeps the people opaque from what's being done with their money and in their name. Doesn't anybody care about that? Doesn't that rile anyone else up? Should. It should, but we have struggled with transparency to such an extent in Michigan that it seems to have become accepted that we can't FOIA the governor, we can't FOIA the lawmakers, we don't have real ethics policies, we don't have real financial disclosures. And even when some of these things are required by the Constitution, lawmakers drag their feet, and who's going to make them do it? I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with James David Dixon from the Michigan Capital Confidential. When we come back, we're going to talk about DTE and their efforts when it comes to underground power lines. We'll do that next here on Media Business. Workplace keeps changing, and successful companies recognize and embrace change through choice, adaptability, and innovation. DBI offers affordable furniture solutions for countless workspace options that will enhance the performance of your people and organization. Visit us online at dbis.com. Welcome back to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. This is the Michigan Business Network. James, it seems like DTE has a lot more issues when it comes to power outages than, say, Consumers Energy. I know Consumers Energy is a bigger dog and they have more resources, but it appears DTE is trying to do a little something about that, about its underground power lines. Talk a little bit about that story. Yeah, so only about 30%, I believe, of DTE customers, you know, do have power lines underground where they live. And so in Michigan, new builds are all built underground. But a lot of us live in old communities. And so like the kind of, you know, closer you get to Detroit, those are extremely old communities. And so DTE's footprint in the state, mostly covering Southeast Michigan, is like the oldest part of the state, too. So it's the oldest, but it's also the most population dense. So we have the most people, it's oldest, we're tight together, which means that, you know, taking down a circuit affects a lot of people at once. So you have a lot of things working against you. And for years when DTE would have these windstorms or whatever, and, you know, mostly when we lose power, it's because something has collided with the power line, oftentimes a tree. And so for years and years, they've told lawmakers, 
we're going to keep trimming trees. We're going to trim trees, trim trees. And it's become quite clear this year, almost a consensus in Lansing, that tree trimming is no longer it. And so DTE has a pilot in these two neighborhoods on Detroit's east side where they're going to see, okay, if we actually were to bury these power lines underground, would people have fewer outages, shorter outages? Well, it seems like that's common sense, wouldn't you think? Well, they already had published data saying, you know, they studied this themselves and found that you do. You have like a third fewer power outages. So DTE has studied this. And what I found interesting is they're doing this pilot in Detroit. They're starting it next month. But there's already a pilot ongoing that started five years ago on Detroit's west side. That's wrapping up this year. So you're starting an undergrounding pilot before the old undergrounding pilot has ended. But you also already have enough data to say that undergrounding power lines brings more reliability. So what exactly are we waiting for? And James, I want to talk to you about a story that you wrote, and it was titled Report Whitmer's Allies Target Opponents of Marshall Battery Plant. One resident, as a matter of fact, had told, the, I believe, the Detroit Free Press that he received photos of himself with his wife with their faces crossed out. What do you know about this story? And is the governor's allies really targeting individuals like this? Yeah, I would encourage everybody to read that story and read, especially the free press story that we link. It shows you a picture of, you know, the actual mail that this guy and his wife got. And you see a picture of them. It's not like it's like their Facebook profile picture. It's a picture of them at a protest rally protesting, doing the, that most American of activities, you know, seeking redress of grievances. And with their faces crossed out with a red marker. Who does that? That is so close to Al Capone type activity. It's almost embarrassing. And you have to think if the state were run by different people, it might actually be charged as such. Here's the good news, though, Tony. It didn't work. So the Fort Marshall site was kind of there were two pressure campaigns going on and they were in different directions. You had three different congressional committees write letters to Ford CEO Jim Farley seeking information about the relationship. Why is Ford taking backseat to a Chinese company? Does this weaken America? Asking those kind of questions. And two of them actually said they were investigating Ford. Then you had this kind of whisper campaign. I mean, one of Governor Whitmer's election lawyers was allegedly involved in this, where they're targeting individual dissenters, telling people to not sign petitions, not sign pieces of paper to not speak up. And it's the congressional pressure campaign that appears to have had more success than the one that tried to get people to stop. And I think that's a good sign because when people feel they're telling the truth, you can't shut them up. So is this what happens when you have the supermajority in Lansing? Apparently, it must be a different kind of day. I mean, silly me, I'm sure you remember this. You know, there used to be a time when people would try to convince people who disagreed. I guess now people feel like they can just steamroll the opposition. Well, guess what? Those people didn't get steamrolled and they won. 
And the final question I have for you, James, I know you've been covering, how's the state of Michigan when it comes to our students and how they got through COVID, especially on the education level? We're behind, I would say. So, I mean, we had, you know, some of the longest, you could call them school lockdowns, where people were in virtual school who didn't want to be, who wanted to be in person, but virtual is all that was offered. And so we see in the latest batch of test scores, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but essentially the kids are not all right. The learning loss from COVID. So Michigan, you know, just to put it in a context, for 20 years, we've been talking about how Michigan is not a smart enough state. And that's the official line. We're not a smart enough state. We don't attract the jobs of the future. We need more laptop type jobs. We have to raise these college graduation rates and attendance rates. So for 20 years, we've been talking about that. Here's the problem. When people get those degrees, they tend to leave. And what's left when they leave is just, you know, the normal person we all live with, the people who make Michigan a place that we love and we enjoy. But, you know, so there's been this effort to switch Michigan from brawn, from physical strength to brain and the jobs of the future. And it's not going well by any metric. Our schools are not good. Our kids are not doing well. We're not set up to compete with your kids, the kids who are in high school right now, especially elementary school. They're going to be applying to college against kids who go to school 270 days a year in China and India. It's not a good situation. We've been talking with James David Dixon, who is the managing editor of the Michigan Capital Confidential. If you want to know what's going on in the state, especially when it comes to government, you got to get online and follow them because they really have their finger on the pulse. James, I appreciate you so much, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Tony. I'm Tony Connolly. This is Media Business, and this is the Michigan Business Network.